Okay, so next question. Um, Sarah asks, neoliberalism created both winners as, as well as losers. Who will be the equivalents of the people in the UK who sold their council houses and got access to easy credit uh, under whatever is coming after neoliberalism? It's a good question, and it gets to the heart of the matter about, you know, we've got to think about this in, in, in class terms and, and as, a, as society is a, as a site of conflict, not just, you know, ideas that happen and things move past us and that's that. Um, the caution on it, and, and, I, and I don't think the questioner meant this particularly, but the caution on it is, of course, the real winners from neoliberalism aren't people who bought their, bought their council houses. The real winners are, you know, the, the top, not even the top 1%, to be honest, the top 0.1%, the top 0.01% who, who have done spectacularly well. I mean, this is, to my Piketty's contribution to, to our understanding of this is to just really systematically detail how, how well they've done. But if we if we also have an appreciation that, that capitalism doesn't survive, presumably wouldn't survive very long if it was literally, you know, the top 0.1% are doing spectacularly well and everyone else is ground into the dirt, um, then there are there are layers of winners that neoliberalism created. You know, if you, if you take the Thatcher years, yes, if, uh, if you bought your council house, you could do very well out of doing this. So that's one set of winners. The other one is, is of course, if you, if you look at Thatcherism, if you look at the sort of 80s overall, if you remained in employment and if you were more likely in the sort of southeast of England, you could do quite well in terms of rising real wages over this period. Very different story if you're in different parts of the country, very different story if you lost your job. But there are some winners there. And then the relaxation of credit conditions uh, was a particular benefit to these people in the you know, sort of 87, 88, 89, up to the crash, really, uh, that sort of, or the slump of that kind of period, the Lawson boom. Um, and then what New Labour did is generalise those easy credit conditions effectively uh, across the rest of the country. So a lot of people feel like they're doing well which then sort of ends in the crash of 2008. That, that's a particular set of sort of, they're not the actual real winners, but it's a bunch of people who might feel they're doing all right out of this. Uh, I think if we're talking about post-neoliberalism, I don't think that financial mechanism is going to work in the same way because there's, there's I mean, look, finance is still kind of repressed in lots and lots of different ways, right? We still have incredibly low interest rates. We still have uh, all sorts of controls on, on how finance can act. We still have very much reduced uh, flows of finance uh, across borders relative to what they were um, running up to the 2007, 2008 crash. So so that's that's the financial system operating somewhat differently to how it used to do. And probably it's not going to end up generalizing quite such an expansive way uh, as we saw in 2007, 2008. If you're looking for winners now, it's probably going to be more directly politically determined in the you're going to have governments that are intervening we already got got governments that are intervening the the tory government in britain is intervening like this already to quite deliberately create categories of winners and losers uh, you got this over a period of time with the protection that the coalition and the tory government gave to pensioners relative to everybody else's incomes i mean this is you know the triple lock this is the guaranteed increases in pension incomes relative to stagnation and falling wages if you have to rely on on the market or some form of the market to get to get a wage, um, you saw last summer as the government really sort of prematurely uh, thought it could get out of the first stage of the the pandemic and start to move the furlough scheme around and introduce what it called the job support scheme. And if you look at who that was going to benefit, the winners from this were a bunch of people who were likely to be skilled workers, somewhat better paid on standard contracts, right? So, and this job support scheme was going to enable them to keep those jobs in conditions where short-time working and unemployment was being threatened. And, and that's 
not a, a promise that's offered to absolutely everybody else. You know, it's no good whatsoever if you're self-employed, uh, if you're on a if you're on a non-standard contract of some sort. You know, the, even the furlough scheme, which has been essential for a whole you know, great raft of people out there in getting through the the first bit of the pandemic. There's three million people who, who don't have access to that, who are otherwise uh, in work in some form. Um, and the job support scheme briefly introduced last summer was a kind of extension of that logic. It was the government picking a bit of the labour market and saying, you will be winners, you will do well. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode of PTO Extra, please consider becoming a $5 supporter on Patreon, as well as getting access to extended versions of regular PTO shows. You'll also get access to all future episodes of PTO Extra. Thanks for listening.